reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and without blemish before him. In love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, in accord with the favor of his will, for the praise of the glory of his grace that he granted us in the beloved. In him we were also chosen, destined in accord with the purpose of the one who accomplishes all things according to the intention of his will, so that we might exist for the praise of his glory, who we who first hoped in Christ. Verbum Domini. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit finds joy in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in his conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever.
Dominus Fobiscum. Lexia Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believe that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verbum Domini. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Today we celebrate the feast of or the memorial of the most holy name of Mary. And in the Magnificat this month, it, it speaks of her name as a word of hope, just to say her name in prayer, uh, just to whisper it to ourselves. It's a great sign of hope because in her we see this great work of Christ. Jesus is the one mediator. He has redeemed us. And we see in Mary the fruit of this redemption. And we see in her all these deep truths of faith, of what Jesus did for us in her. They resonate in her, Vatican II said. And this reading from St. Paul to the Ephesians, I think all this you know, is applied to Mary in the most beautiful way. You know, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish before him. Her immaculate conception that she was preserved from original sin. In love, he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ in accordance with the favor of his will. This is done by God's will. It's his work, his initiative, the incarnation through the Holy Spirit overshadowing the Virgin Mary. For the praise of his glory, for the praise of the glory of his grace that he granted us in the beloved. Jesus came in the fullness of truth and grace. And we see that transformation of grace that is happens in Mary is our model and pattern of holiness. We see the fruit of that grace comes from Christ and her. In him, we were also chosen, destined to accord with the purpose of the one who accomplishes all things according to the intention of his will. And Mary, of course, is the one that did the will of God in the most preeminent way, you know, taking her to the foot of the cross. This feast of the holy name of Mary <clears throat> was, you know, it was a devotion from centuries ago, Pope 
Innocent the 11th extended the feast of the holy name of Mary to the universal church. And then Pius X, in the early part of this century, or, 19, or the 1900s, he moved the celebration to September 12th to commemorate the victory over the Turks at the Battle of Vienna in 1693 by the Polish king, led by the Polish king, uh, Jan Sobieski. <clears throat> he reigned from 1674 to 1696. So the Ottoman Empire was extending through Europe, and this is another one of those battles that stopped the, the spread of it that would have you know, been the end of Christianity. And this Polish king went to Our Lady of Czestochowa, the great hill with this great shrine of Our Lady of Czestochowa, Jasnogora, you know, is at, and he prayed, and then he was leading troops into battle. He prayed for strength. It was just a decisive victory, so much so that they moved this feast to that, to that day. <clears throat> he prayed there before going into battle. And if you go to Our Lady of Czestochowa today, it still just reverberates and resonates that strength of Our Lady, that she's the one who stood in faith at the foot of the cross. You know, great strength. The faith makes us strong. She is a woman of faith, a model of faith, and when you go there, at least I did, I experienced, you just felt that. that you, I normally didn't think, and usually I think of Mary as the mother and tenderness and things, and there was an experience of her, her strength, what happens when, when God is using you in such a powerful way to intercede for his people. The king, Jan Sobieski, said, and he, he told the Pope after the battle, I guess through letter, he said, I came, I saw, and God conquered. Kind of a mockery of Caesar saying, <laughs> I love that boldness. But God, humility, because he's saying, recognizing that God is, has the victory. We see, as I mentioned, Mary has been given great privileges. She's the mother of God. She's ever virgin. She's immaculately conceived, and she's assumed into heaven. And, you know, these are titles for her that are key for our redemption, but also a model for us as members of the church, that she is a, a type of the church. And not just like a type that we see of a shadowing, a prefigurement in the Old Testament, like the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea is for baptism. They crossed the Red Sea, they still had their sins. It wasn't a fulfillment there. The substance wasn't there. It did not give the forgiveness of sins. It was just an image because they're escaping Pharaoh and slavery. Baptism, though, really does give us an escape from sin and death by grace. So we say that Mary is a type, but more than just an Old Testament type that just prefigures, we see a fulfillment in her. We see the work of God's grace in her. The spiritual reality proclaimed and represented in her is, is completely fulfilled. That the church is truly a mother, that the church is virgin, that the church today in her motherhood and virginity is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit to be a mother, to bring forth life at our baptismal fonts and through preaching of the gospel. We see this real fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit in her. So it's first lived in Mary and then fulfilled in the church. 
Lumen Gentium, the Vatican II document on the church, said that she is an outstanding model of faith, that she carries out the role of faith and charity, you know, in that's a, a model for the church, that she is a, a mirror placed in front of the church, where the church recognizes in her these dispositions, this identity, uh, that, and actions that we are to imitate. We see that in the gospel reading today, the visitation. She's bringing Jesus to Elizabeth. She's going to serve the needy. She is bringing Christ with her, you know, in her womb to her cousin Elizabeth, a model of evangelization. We see in her these dispositions of heart that we are to imitate, her listening and receiving the word of God. At the Annunciation, Gabriel gives her this word that she is to conceive by the Holy Spirit. Much more than an Old Testament woman that's infertile conceiving, she's going to conceive and yet remain a virgin. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't have a human biological father. She's called to believe something much greater. And we see that she believes, though, that, and she believes that Elizabeth, at Gabriel's word, is pregnant. So her faith, you know, believes that nothing is impossible to God. That's a model for us, to have that kind of faith. I think sometimes, too, our challenge is, is in faith is, can God really do that in us? You know, we see, hopefully, you've read stories or maybe even witnessed a miracle in somebody's life, maybe a physical miracle. Mother Angelica had a dramatic one in her life when she was healed from her need for braces and a back brace. But do we also believe that God wants to do great things for us, that he really wants to transform us, make us holy, that this is really possible? You know, we read hear these stories of the saints, and we see these great figures in the church, and the temptation is that, well, that's, that's not for me. You know, real holiness, real overcoming of sin, real growth and charity. It can be a test of our faith, and we're called to believe that nothing is impossible, to even make saints of us, right, in this modern world and the families we're born in and live in and the culture we live in, the struggles and temptations that we have, that nothing is impossible for God. We see in Mary this radical faith and obedience. She gives her fiat at the Annunciation. Let it be done to me according to your word. So she believes God's word, and then that takes her all the way to the foot of the cross. That, that is a tough plan for your life, you know, from God that she has to see her son crucified. Yet to believe that this is our path of redemption, that this is God's will. She lovingly consents in the immolation of her son. In her motherhood, we see a praying church. She's there in the upper room with the entire church awaiting Pentecost. We see her at the nativity caring for the infant Christ, showing us this deep intimacy we are to have with Jesus. And at the cross, 
she receives the broken body of Jesus from the cross and shows the church how to receive all those in this world whose lives have been wounded by violence and sin. That's taken from a church document, the collaboration of men and women in the church. I thought that was such a beautiful line that in receiving the broken body of Jesus from the cross, she shows the church how to receive all those in this world whose lives have been wounded by violence and sin. That is the effect of our culture today that promotes sin, that promotes a waywardness from God that leaves people wounded on the side of the road. How do we receive those that have been so hurt by the culture, by a life of sin. She shows us that at the foot of the cross, receiving the dead body of our son with faith, always focused on the Lord and God's plan. From her Magnificat, we learn to have a, a sense and delight of praise for the work of his hands, that the Almighty has done great things for me. I think it's so vital in our prayer life to thank God for things. Eucharist means thanksgiving, to recognize his showing up, his presence in our life, what he has done for us. If we just pause and take note that, no, it's not Disney World, right? There's difficulties and struggles. Things don't always go well and sometimes go terribly wrong. But in prayer, we can recognize how God is showing up and sustaining us. You know, from Mary, we learn that the passion, Jesus' passion and ours, is the way of love that saves the world from sin and death. That is the plan, the cross, that we share in that. And that is redemptive for our souls and for others. She witnesses to us the dispositions of every believer that we're called to listen, called to you know, read the word of God, reflect on it, listen, receive it, to be welcoming, to have humility, to have faithfulness, to praise, and to wait on the Lord. These are things we see in the Old Testament that Israel was called to do. And this document I mentioned on the collaboration of men and women in the church those dispositions of listening, welcoming, humility, faithfulness, praise, and waiting are characteristics that all the baptized are called to have. There's the Marian dimension of the church is the dimension of discipleship, that we're all first disciples that are listening and receiving. These are characteristics of us all, but women live them with a particular intensity and naturalness, this church document said. Live them with particular intensity and naturalness, modeling the essence of discipleship. It shows the true face of the church. It witnesses to how the church's bride responds to the bridegroom's love. That's the disposition, the stance we are to have to our Lord. So Mary, you know, shows us this, and women today model this in a preeminent way for the entire church. That's a vital role for the church. You know, instead of this push for clamoring for high offices to 
to model that discipleship that even people in the offices of the church are called to have first. The first in the kingdom are the saints, not the office holders. That's a vital role. That's an important role to image the church as bride, to imitate Mary, to show us this path of holiness, what we're called to be in the world today.